What are you? Treasury? Foreign Asset Control? I'm in the CIA. What do you want from me? Your employers won't know you work for us. People you love won't know you do either. It's gonna get lonely, but it's how we like to do things. Come on, you can do better than that. I can, and I do, and so do the people in my unit. Which unit is that? The one that makes sure we don't get hit again. Welcome to Now Playing's Tom Clancy Movie Retrospective Series. You're not a field man, Jack. You never were. You are an analyst. Analyze that. Join us each week as we watch and review all the film adaptations of Tom Clancy's novels. Welcome to the CIA, sport. Hosted by Jacob. It is an honor to speak to you today. Stuart. No one understands this material better than you. And Arnie. Call it the way I see it, that's my job. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. There's a very real scenario here where we don't get out of this alive. Listener discretion is advised. Start the music. Today, we're talking about Patriot Games. Starring Harrison Ford, Ann Archer, Patrick Bergen, Sean Bean, Thora Birch, James Fox, with James Earl Jones, and Richard Harris. Directed by Philip Noyce. He's Australian for nice, right? Noyce! <laughs> Bring the noise. <laughs> This is the now playing co-host who, the day I sell out my fellow podcasters, is the day I'll put a bullet in my head, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is the co-host who podcasts with rage, pure rage, Jacob. So where's Alec Baldwin? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Jack Ryan is back, but what happened to him? It's been like 20 (laughs) years or something. (laughs) I looked it up because I remember when this came out and I thought that Harrison Ford was so much older than Alec Baldwin. There's a 15-year difference. Oh, it's shocking watching these back-to-back, you know, one week to the next. Like, yeah, this is a very different Jack Ryan because of who they cast. Like, they didn't plan on this being, like, a Clancy franchise, right? They were just, like, buying books and making movies. They didn't want people to really piece it together. No, no, the producers are the same from Hunt for Red October, and they definitely had the idea that Jack Ryan was their James Bond. Shot that one right down. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. They very much wanted a Jack Ryan verse. I didn't pay much attention to all the marketing of these movies at the time, but that was a shock to me years after I had seen these films. I'm like, oh, they're all the same character? Never realized it. Market that stuff, I guess. Well, they can't because, well, yeah, there's no character continuity. Alec Baldwin, (laughs) I think, made a pretty good impression in Hunt for Red October. He was outdone by Sean Connery, but hey, that's Sean Connery. We weren't going to have the sub-captain come back. So, yeah, let's follow this guy that we got to know last movie and really have a, a whole movie dedicated to his origin story. That was the plan. And the official version on the Blu-ray, the lie being sold by the producers is, Alec had a play. He couldn't do it. Streetcar. He was doing, yeah, a streetcar named Desire on Broadway, and he just couldn't get out of that. So, oh, well. Obviously a lie. Obviously you can find a way to do the sequel to the biggest movie of your career and get the biggest payday of your career. I think Alec was on board for that. The version that got publicized back in the day that I read about in Premiere and really all the trades, what everyone was talking about is Alec Baldwin is a raging asshole. You don't want to work with him. Yeah, you don't want to be his daughter. <laughs> he thinks he's too good for this. He demanded too much money. He came in with all these demands. 
demands about his character. He made this movie with Neil Simon called The Marrying Man with his future wife, Kim Bassinger. And all they talk about is how those two ran ramshot over cast and crew and broke walls and cameras and demanded expensive things. And so the producers did not want to go there. Much like Val Kilmer wasn't coming back for Batman and Robin, this was a no-go. We don't want it. I read a couple of things that when they were doing Hunt for Red October, they wanted Harrison Ford and he was so expensive and they were, you know, it was an unknown property, Tom Clancy books, the first one being adapted, and they went with Alec Baldwin. And when Alec Baldwin came back with his salary request for this one, they're like, we could get Harrison Ford for that. We wanted him in the first place. Let's get him. Yeah, Ford says the reason why he didn't do it the first time he was offered was that the Russian sub-commander was the better role. He wanted the Connery part. And, you know, he kind of ended up playing that part. He, with that Catherine Bigelow movie I never saw, K-19, The Widowmaker. I guess he really had to get a Soviet sub-captain on at some point in his career. But, yeah, he wanted to play the Russian. And, you know, yeah, he had Indiana Jones and other things going. That's the version that Baldwin talks about. It's interesting. He wrote an autobiography. I got a copy. Naturally, he comes at it a little different. He claims that Harrison Ford was a has-been who was looking for his next franchise. And you got to love Alec because he just, the gloves are off. You know, most people are diplomatic. They don't want to make too many waves. They try to find a way to speak like, it just didn't work out. (laughs) No, he's like... Harrison Ford is a short, ugly carpenter that has gotten through his career by being lucky in franchises. And because he couldn't do well in Oscar bait like Mosquito Coast, he needed to steal my franchise. And he says that he came in there and and literally told director John McTiernan, fuck Alec Baldwin, I'm a bigger star, I want to be Jack Ryan. And maybe that's why John McTiernan didn't come back as director. Yeah, there were some things I read that McTiernan didn't want to do Patriot Games. He wanted to do a different story first. And Well, was this the next book in the series? Tom Clancy wrote a, another book about World War III and the Cold War and the Russians that had nothing to do with Jack Ryan. It was called Red Storm Rising, and it was a bestseller. But I think, again, these producers were interested in building a universe around the Jack Ryan character. So it is the third Tom Clancy book the second Jack Ryan novel, and one that is going to be totally about that character. It is unlike Red October, where Jack Ryan is in maybe a fourth of the novel. I think Jack Ryan is is in almost every chapter of this book. And you read this book, right? I did. I felt like I didn't want to do the books and nachos, and I'm so glad about that decision. But I definitely wanted to understand the source material and feel like, yeah, there are important things to understand that Tom Clancy is doing in there that are not going to be in this movie. Does he explain or justify why you go from tackling the Soviet Union to, and I apologize, I'm American, I don't get the full history, but the IRA, that feels like a much smaller target. Yeah, Jack Ryan is Irish-American. The character was better suited to talk about that conflict because he went to college in Boston, which has a heavy Irish-Catholic population. And Tom Clancy will allege in his novel that they actually feed and fundraise and give money to Ulster and North Ireland to remain combative against English rule. And so he felt like having an American to talk to all audiences, but with that as a 
ethnic tie would be a way in for people, that it would help to understand this conflict. And it should be said that the IRA conflict is just as old as the Soviet Union. It happened around the same time that the Russian Revolution occurred, Ireland erupted, Michael Collins, all of that stuff. I agree. I'm not really up on the history, and I think part of it is, as Americans, we're taught you're a good capitalist, you don't want to be a godless communist. But when it comes to this conflict, it's Catholics versus Protestant. People have their feelings about their religion, and it gets complicated. So I don't think that there's clear good guys and bad guys to root for. Yeah, I remember when this came out, and for a few years around it, they were really trying to make the IRA... Topical. It felt more like a political push from Hollywood than anything else. No, it was, I mean, it was a big deal. There were bombings all the time. Yes, however, in America, we weren't hearing that on the news. But in Hollywood, we had Harrison Ford in The Devil's Zone, if you guys remember that film, another IRA movie with Harrison Ford. Around this time, we had In the Name of the Father with Daniel Day-Lewis and The Crying Game. The Crying Game is about the IRA, too? Kinda. I know the other twist. Yeah, it goes to in a different direction. I don't want to spoil too much about a movie heavily <laughs> spoiled, but yes, it definitely begins as an IRA thriller. And I've seen some of those movies since then. Bloody Sunday, Michael Collins, Hunger, 71. I actually went to Belfast a, a few years ago. I, wonderful town. Great history. Super interesting. Took a three-hour tour with a man that showed me all around the walls that keep people separated, even now. It's fascinating. I still don't understand it. I mean, there's too many <laughs> factions of the IRA. It is just too divided by different sects and schisms within political parties that split into smaller parties that hate each other. Like, you really would have a hard time telling a coherent history of the conflict for an American audience. So it's okay that I watch this film and I still don't understand, like, the infighting that's going on. Oh, well, the movie's going to make it really clear. I think the movie is just going to throw everything out and say, these are family conflicts. They're going to make the major issue here between two brothers, one of which gets killed. That isn't the case in the novel. And he's going to come for Jack Ryan and his family. So it's just about you hurt my family, I'll hurt yours. And I think that's a universal conflict. Yeah, I was able to go with it this time. I learned a lot about the IRA since this came out in 92 and watching it today. The last time I saw it was in 92 in theaters with you, Stuart. It was, you know, the summer right before I went away to college. I was happy that I was 18 and could go see R-rated movies without getting carded or needing a parent to come along with me. And so I kind of went to a lot of things that summer. It was a gloomy summer. There were all of these downbeat blockbusters, Alien 3, Batman Returns, Death becomes her there was just it was kind of a this was another one that i just walked away feeling like hmm that's kind of depressing yeah, I remember seeing this. I didn't see it in theaters, but I was like 16 when I saw it. And just, you know, this is Harrison Ford. This is Indiana Jones. I'm expecting Air Force One. I, I guess that didn't come out yet. But I'm expecting, you know, a, a big action film. And we'll, we'll talk about it. Much like Red October, I don't know how much action there actually took place. And then all the politics. It just kind of bored me. Well, the thing is with Harrison Ford, you think of Harrison Ford, you think action films, you think Indiana Jones and Han Solo. Yeah, because I don't want to think about regarding Henry. That's why I think of those ones. But if you look at even his 80s career, it was never that kind of an action hero. He was kind of initially in the Liam Neeson early type. I mean, with like Frantic and Witness. Yeah, I, I didn't watch those ones as a kid because they weren't Indiana Jones. 
that's what Baldwin is saying, that every time Ford tries to go and do that, it doesn't work out for him. And so he has to go and be in big event films because he knows, in Baldwin's terms, he's just not good enough to be in those kinds of movies. But I think he did well in them. I just don't think action hero is what he was meant to be even though we have several action films, mostly Indiana Jones, and then you throw in Air Force One. Well, he wasn't Daniel Day-Lewis. He wasn't William Hurt. Even The Fugitive is kind of an action film. I mean, he's got plenty. I definitely feel like it was right to expect him to be in a movie with guns and chase scenes, even if it ends up being Blade Runner and not Star Wars. I mean, I think that he was a leading man, and that's about projecting virility, strength, toughness. But he was also usually, including in Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones, the reluctant hero. Yeah, he was always curmudgeonly, but it was cute in the 80s. And then when we got to the 90s, oh boy, <laughs> he just got grumpier and grumpier. I can't believe they are going to go that Indiana Jones route in this film. He is both a professor and a fighter. <laughs> I do remember this being the turning point, that up until this point, I liked Harrison Ford. I wanted to see him in movies. And Patriot Games was the beginning of feeling like, I'm over it. It wasn't a turning and like I hated him or anything. It wasn't conscious. It was just every time I saw him, it was like seeing someone you don't have any connection with anymore. An old friend that you don't have anything in common. I was still pretty much a Harrison Ford fan when this came out. I did see Presumed Innocence and Regarding Henry and Working Girl and Frantic and Witness. I mean, I was keeping up with Harrison Ford. I... I viewed him as an action hero. It's only in retrospect that I don't really think of him as exactly that. Did you see Mosquito Coast? No, I did I did not even heard of Mosquito Coast until much later. Yeah, see, again, that was, I think, the rare attempt to him being like, I'm going to play a crazy man that hurts his family and goes on this Apocalypse Now kind of quest. Yeah, I, my, I remember my parents dragging us to that and hated it because it wasn't Indiana Jones. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how it is. It'd be interesting to see. It's Peter Ware. He usually makes interesting films. But he's right to try and find the next James Bond role. He's right to try and be Indiana Jones, the CIA analyst. That seems like it should have been a good fit for him. No matter how I feel about Alec Baldwin in the role, he should have been able to smoothly transition. And I think it was the biggest selling point of this movie that Harrison Ford was in the part. I do remember him front and center on the posters, all the ads. It was about a terrorist attack on American soil. Back then, nobody thought such a thing could happen, and Harrison Ford was going to protect us. But it only made $83 million. It was considered an underperformer and kind of forgotten. It did well enough. You know, these days, everybody talks global box office. But back in the 90s, nobody cared about overseas, uh, you know, except for some accountants. Everybody was talking domestic box office. And it made about double, which is where you wanted to be. But globally, it made close to 200. It did okay. It kicked Lethal Weapon 3 out of the number one spot. Uh, it made no, nothing compared to Lethal Weapon 3 in terms of overall box office. Being number one for a week is different than, like, again, crossing that $100 million line. You would expect that. Presumed Innocent did that. And you would expect Harrison Ford to deliver that. That's his mission. That's what he does. He's a hero to Hollywood because he can make those films, those big hits. Maybe it was the R rating. This was a more adult-oriented. They weren't trying to say this is for kids. It wasn't PG or PG-13, R-rated. And again, about the IRA. 
I couldn't believe this was R-rated when I was watching it this time. I mean, when watching it, I was thinking, actually, because at one point they say fuck. Yeah, and I'm like, that's their one. This is PG-13, right? That was exactly what I thought. And then I went to the iTunes menu and saw rated R. This has no reason to be rated R. They must have asked, please rate us R so that we can say we're for adults. We're not for kids. That's the only thing that makes sense. Uh, It's something that they'll learn from. The next movie will be PG-13. I think it probably hurt the box office that a teenage audience, other than me, you and I, Arnie, we went, but (laughs) younger kids that, again, would have thought of this guy as Indiana Jones, they couldn't see it without their parents. Well, I will talk about it later, but I do recall us being a couple of odd men out in our audience. Well, Arnie, why don't you give him the plot? We'll find out about these Patriot games. Harrison Ford plays an older Jack Ryan. He's actually a retiree. He retired from the CIA and now teaches at the U.S. Naval Academy. When the movie starts, Jack is on vacation in London with his pregnant wife, Kathy, now played by Ann Archer, and their grade school-aged daughter, Sally. The trip happened to be outside Buckingham Palace when an IRA splinter group attacks the castle, trying to kidnap the Queen's cousin, Lord William Holmes. Jack jumps into action and takes one of the assailant's guns, shooting several and stopping their attack long enough for the palace guard to arrive. They arrest the mission's commander, Sean Miller, played by Sean Bean, and Miller swears revenge on Jack as one of the men he shot and killed was Miller's younger brother. Jack is knighted for his valor and returns to the States, while Miller breaks out of jail, facilitated by a mole in Lord Holmes' employ, Miller regroups with his commanding officer, Kevin O'Donnell, and O'Donnell's assassin lover, Annette. Miller then leads some of the troops on a revenge mission to the United States. They fail to kill Jack, but a freeway chase leaves Kathy and Sally in the hospital. This prompts Jack to return to work at the CIA to capture these killers, and discovers information that leads to a U.S. airstrike at the base. But Miller, O'Donnell, Annette, and others are en route to the United States. Lord Holmes has actually decided to visit Jack at his house the day Sally is released from the hospital. O'Donnell's goal is still to capture Lord Holmes, but Miller wants Jack dead and even kills O'Donnell and Annette so they don't stand in his way. The climax comes when Miller and his men infiltrate Jack's house, trying to kill Holmes and the Ryans. Jack and his friend Lieutenant Commander Robbie Jackson, played by Samuel L. Jackson, succeed in killing most of the troops, and Jack takes a boat to lead Miller away. Miller ends up crashing the boat and is dead, and Jack safely reunites with his family as credits roll. And as they start, we get that title. I'm wondering if either of you guys have any idea why this is called Patriot Games. I was hoping you would tell me. Well, back when this was published in the 87, what Clancy was really concerned about, far less concerned about the political struggles of the IRA, what he was really trying to get at with this novel is the idea of state-sponsored terrorism. You know, in the old days, you declare war. You announce, I'm fighting you. You get your navy, you get your army, and you invade, and somebody's the victor. But in recent decades, he was troubled by the idea that you could feed militias inside your enemy's borders, guns and things, and they could fight the battle that you're not willing to declare openly. And it really is something that Jack Ryan is actually quite opposed to. It's referred to as Patriot Games that Americans in Boston are sending money to Ulster when North America and Reagan wouldn't dare publicly declare support for a free Ireland. 
And this is extra ironic because the book was published the same year as the Iran-Contra affair (laughs) in which America got caught selling weapons to Iran so they could fund a militia group. Not true. No one remembered what they did, Stuart. We don't know. Well, okay. His administration, maybe not Reagan himself, did sell weapons to Iran so that they could support militias inside Nicaragua and stop those communists in South America. So, again, an interesting political idea that I feel gets completely sanitized by this movie. It ends up becoming a very generic title. Yeah, I don't take this as a movie about state-sponsored terrorism. It's weird. It feels like, this time it's personal. And for a second movie in a franchise, like, you got there real fast. Like, (laughs) that's what most of this film feels like, even though there is some IRA stuff. It's about a, a personal grudge against Jack Ryan. And that was something that disappointed me back in theaters, was I wanted to see Jack Ryan save the world or save the country, and I didn't appreciate that it was a personal story. But I'll say, coming back to it this time, I actually like that our hero is personally invested in this story, and things matter to him. It's a Jack Ryan story, not a story about international espionage featuring Jack Ryan. Yeah, they're definitely going to push the family first and foremost. The first scene we get is that they're in a hotel in London, which is interesting because Hunt for a Red October, they were living in London. He had to fly to America to bring those pictures of the Red October. But here, it might confuse people to know that they are just visiting. And in fact, this is his first visit to England. Oh, I got it when he calls home and and tells whoever's watching the fish to buy new fish because they forgot to get fed. So, really important distinction between novel and movie. Patriot Games, the book, is a prequel. It happens before Red October. What? It is how Jack Ryan joins the CIA. The reason why he is not working for Greer is because he hasn't been offered the job. I thought it was very weird that you never really get a reference to the Red October in this, even though they're playing this as happening after that in the movie, Clancy verse, I guess. But yeah, making this Ryan so much older, I would never think prequel. Like, I actually will talk about a, a specific scene where it hit me, but I don't think Harrison Ford is right if you're wanting continuation from Red October. And I just took this as it's been a long time since Red October. Why would anyone still be talking about that one mission out of so many? We're dealing with an older retired Jack Ryan. I didn't realize Patriot Games was a prequel on the page, but here it did seem strange to me that he's retired from the CIA because pretty early on, you know, we're going to have a few moments with the family, but we're going to jump right into the assault on Buckingham Palace and Jack doesn't really hesitate to jump into action. And I'm already thinking that's not who Jack Ryan is. He's an analyst. He's not the guy who goes out there and punches people. Well, that's what hit me watching it this time. Again, having more of the knowledge and having just watched The Hunt for Red October, this doesn't feel like the Jack Ryan I watched last week. And I think it's a problem for me because if we did have Baldwin back, he, in in that film, came off as a little bit nerdy. You know, he had that Marine background, but a little unsure. Like, I would have felt more tension for the character because it's Harrison Ford. Like, of course, he's going to stop these Irish terrorists here and and win the day, and there's not going to be any problem. I I do feel, because of this recast... I'm never on edge as much as if it was someone else that didn't have the background, the demeanor, everything that Harrison Ford brings to an action film. The only motivation seems to be that his wife and child are within shooting distance, that they're standing in that park. And when they roll up on the North Ireland Royal Lord Holmes, yeah, they could be shot. And and we see that is 
where Jack Ryan goes to first. He runs to his wife and daughter, gets them behind a car, and it's only then that he realizes that he has a clear line to going and tackling one of these IRA terrorists. It's an exciting opening. I'll agree with Jacob that I always see this character as Harrison Ford and not as Jack Ryan. Nothing here says continuity from Alec Baldwin's character other than, again, I mentioned this last time, at one point he'll have a son of a bitch eureka moment. But other than that, this is a totally different character, very detached from the last film. He's our action hero. He's going to throw some haymakers here. Well, he did just come from a speech. I mean, we did see him prepping a room full of stodgy British people about the end of the Cold War. So that's what I'm saying. This is Indiana Jones. He's going to give a very scholarly speech and then throw some punches. Eventually, it really comes about 45 minutes into the film, but eventually he's going to talk about this moment with Sam Jackson and say it just was rage. I just was blinded by rage. And I think we're supposed to understand the mere idea that his family could be hurt caused him to react when he really didn't need to. And most people wouldn't have expected this American unarmed to jump in while these guys are brandishing weapons that uh, detail that goes overlooked, but they're Uzis, they're Eastern Bloc rifles, again, state-sponsored terrorism. Other countries have sold this group their weapons, and they're not IRA. I think this movie was very nervous about putting real-world terrorists, if you even want to use that word, liberators, agitators. Again, I don't want to get into the politics of all of this, but they didn't want to. They decided to say that that this is just some radical fringe group that broke off from the IRA, and in the book they're called the Ulster Liberation Army, so that they can be fictional and not piss anybody off. Yeah, we have the spokesperson of the IRA, the U.S. ambassador of the IRA, I guess, in this film, who's going to be the one going, it's not us, it's not us. Well, yeah, and we'll see those hits early on of, I guess, real IRA members that could have stopped this faction from, I don't know, going to North Africa and doing whatever they're going to do. I think it's a very legitimate point to say England should get out of Ireland. If that's your political stance, I don't think you need to be equated with a terrorist that murders people in the streets with Uzis. So they were right to separate those two and just say these are six crazy Irishmen who it looks like they're trying to kill this guy but we will find out that their leader is simply trying to kidnap them they for political purposes feel like they can do more by extorting a ransom and making a point yeah question for the listeners in England do people care about the royal cousin (laughs) I I guess any royalty would get a big ransom or get a lot of attention on the news. Yeah, I mean, they care. I mean, depending on whether you care at all about the royals. Some people don't want the royals to exist on the taxpayer's dime. No, I do not. (laughs) Three for three. Yeah, I really am so sick of hearing about them. So mad they moved moved here in L.A. But, you know, I mean, again, it's not my money. I'm not supporting their lifestyle. If you're part of the UK, I imagine you have an opinion about it. But they clearly in America are sold as as some kind of celebiton, you know, the Paris Hiltons uh, across the pond. But they do roll up just guns blazing. I had no idea this was a kidnapping plot. They plan a car bomb. Like, that seems like a very risky way to do a kidnapping. I'll just call it out. I think this looks really dinky. Like, at the time, I remember in theaters thinking, wow, this is amazing. But it's pretty much on par with Alec Baldwin untethering himself and falling out of a chopper into the (laughs) sea. Like, it's plausible, but it's not very grandiose. 
As someone that's seen a lot of action movies since then, it's pretty small to see two cars box in another car and plant a bomb that blows up the engine. And that's it. Like, that's just, it's not dramatic in the way that it came off in the page. I mean, it's a big deal because, I mean, obviously they're guns in England and that's forbidden, but it just doesn't have the sweep of a major terrorist attack. And it just takes a gunshot and a punch to end it. Right. I feel these are supposed to be more realistic films. They're supposed to be more grounded films. And so I have no problem with this. Philip Noyce did the saint. You, you think he worries about realism? Yeah, but before that, I think he did have a respectable career. He came, I think his most prominent film would have been a remake of a Roman Polanski movie, Knife in the Water, called Dead Calm with Nicole Kidman and Sam Neill and Billy Zane. Oh, yeah, I saw that. That was one of the films that helped Nicole Kidman break. Yeah. How dare you? His greatest film is Blind Fury. (laughs) Rucker Hauer, the blind swordsman taking it from Japan. Be that as it may, yeah, I think that they wanted a director that uh, Harrison Ford could work with because Harrison had a lot of opinions about how things should be. And it sounds like he really ran over this production with what they were going to do. And it was his insistence that that he remain nerdy, that he not be too much of a fighter. If you walk away from this opening feeling like Jack Ryan is somebody that would be formidable in a fight, then he's failed. He's failed. Because he wanted you to feel like he's not Harrison Ford. He's a he's a whip. No, I kind of get that in that he, you know, goes down pretty easy. He's not a superhero here. He got shot in the shoulder. I mean, that's pretty significant. How many times did Indy take a bullet? Uh, he's He's got an arm sling on for some of the movie. It, I don't know. I can't get over Harrison Ford. He just seems too much in action mode for me. I just feel like this is sort of, okay, it's a thinking man's movie. And again, they established that tone last time. It won't be about the stunts. It won't be about the explosions. But if this is supposed to be the grabber that keeps us for the next hour until we get a car chase, okay, l- let's see this analyst analyze something because the action is is pretty blah. And this whole thing about like, oh, let me take my teenage brother out on his first terrorist bombing and poor patty boy (laughs) yeah he's what 16 years old when he gets shot this is really overwrought in my opinion and made up for the movie well and then you get like a whole court scene i'm like where's this movie going because i had seen it i didn't remember much of it at all like i didn't remember a court scene with those powdered wigs and everything and you know i'm like oh is he just gonna get off because jack ryan just charged in and maybe he couldn't really identify him but no i think that's just there to reveal the big shocker because this is when i finally realized it that ryan is no longer with the cia i thought this was going to come up because i didn't realize he wasn't with the cia but when he's under oath and this prosecutor is like are you still under the employ of the cia and i remind you sir you are under oath and harrison ford like looks down and there's this pregnant pause and then he goes no i'm like well he lied under oath this is going to go back and then it's like no he actually doesn't work for them then why the big dramatic no there yeah it's confusing i think it's for us the audience for those very few that are like invested in the continuity between this and red october well even not if not you you would wonder why are they making that a deal like i don't understand why they hover 
I, he what? He just gave up? He just retired? He was done with the CIA? Usually in a movie, there's some big scandal. It was to appease his wife. His wife says she can't go back to that lifestyle. You know, being a CIA agent's wife has to be akin to being a cop's wife. You don't know when they're coming home. You don't know if they're coming home. You don't know where they've gone. So she has implored him to get out of the biz. Right. And he's got a daughter and another one on the way. They, When they get home, it quickly is revealed that, without taking a pregnancy test, I don't think, that Kathy just suddenly has morning sickness and goes, oh, Jack, guess what? Baby number two. Well, she's a doctor. She she probably knows. I thought she said she was late. <laughs> yeah, she did say that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we saw the conception. That was the night she ordered the champagne to the room in London, right? That would have been really fast. That's within like 12 hours of all of this. I don't know how long they were there in the court trial. The other thing, at least in the book, the reason why it was important to have Jack Ryan stand trial in England was the theme was about respecting the sovereign powers of other nations. And and if they have laws, do we have the right to do our laws within their walls? Uh, again, a theme that goes largely unspoken to in this movie. Yeah, I figured if there was a trial, he was there for quite a bit. And that's why I thought when she gets back and is like, I'm a month pregnant or two months pregnant, that it was that night that, yeah, this is a story that takes place over a period of time. It's not all just a couple of days. But it seems like in a matter of minutes, Jim Greer or James Earl Jones is coming knocking saying, please, oh, please, won't you come back to work for us? And Harrison is like, no, I got a new black best friend, Sam Jackson. I couldn't believe he was in this. I was trying to think, would I know who Sam Jackson was when this came out? And really, no. In 92? No. He would have just been coming off Jungle Fever, which was the movie that pretty much broke him. It is the reunion of James Earl Jones and Samuel L. Jackson since their time together in Coming to America. Yeah, and I'm not sure. This is a terrible Sam Jackson role. Like, because we have such great associations with him, and he's been such a great shit talker and badass in so many movies to see him dial down this much that all he gets to do is basically give a gag medal to his friend and allow him to explain about the rage that caused him to get involved it's unfortunate had they known that they were dealing with someone that was going to be jewels two years from now oscar (laughs) nominated everybody knows i think they definitely would have given him more time to shine in this movie he's certainly in a lot of the book Okay, because he shows up here when we see Jack at school and then comes back at the end to, I don't even know, I guess he shoots a couple of the terrorists. He does. He gets most of the kills because he is the military man. He is the action guy. He kills most of the troops, not Jack. Yeah, it just didn't seem very action-packed what they did with him. No, they wasted a Sam Jackson, and that's too bad, but he's not the only one wasted here. Let's talk about these Irish radicals. We got Kevin. Patrick Bergen, you guys remember him in Sleeping with the Enemy? No. Oh, my God. It's, you know, you hate to, like, ridicule a movie that's about an important subject matter. Oh, that movie's bad. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. The spousal abuse stuff just unfortunately becomes comical in the way that it's overblown. And just, he's so bad in it. And I will always think of him as that guy. Here, he's watching Enya or something like that and blowing away IRA terrorists that are coming to his farmhouse. Highly undeveloped. He's not very concerned by the fact that his friend Sean has been arrested. I'm 
a little bit lost in this part where he's meeting with somebody at a bar and they're like, Danny boy, you shouldn't be doing this and you're going to meet with this person and then this person comes and gets shot through the door. What it tells me is, okay, these guys aren't IRA, these are a splinter cell, right? but I don't really understand who the people being killed are. They are real IRA. And I think that's the only important thing to take away. Whatever the relationship, who knows, but we know this is a rogue group because they killed the official IRA. The IRA brigadier says, I don't think we should attack royalty. And he immediately is seduced by this red-haired woman and gunned down in a bed for that opinion. If you're going to stand in the way of this group going after Lord Holmes, they're going to kill you. But they don't seem too concerned with Miller. And Miller... He won't talk to anybody. I'm guessing, but you said the little brother isn't in the book. So I'm. how much at all is this like the book? Like him being silent and this other Irish person working for the English police trying to get information out of him. Was this more developed? Because I had to figure there were just this many characters in here because it was a book. Yeah, the thing about a Tom Clancy novel is he'll never do with one character what he can do with ten. I mean, like we need more people. And let's talk about like the vehicles that they drive, the make and model of every airplane they fly in, like just all the little details. Again, I want to remind you, Clancy is just a bean counter, and so he keeps track of details that I, as a reader, don't want. All of this stuff was kind of there, but what they have enhanced here is made it simple. If the politics confuse you, all you need to understand is, here is a man blinded by rage because his brother was killed, and he's going to fight a man who was blinded by rage because he thought his daughter and his wife were going to be killed. So it's mano a mano. And I think that's kind of confusing because I'm trying to go, okay, what's the bigger plot here? Is this just a personal revenge story or what's all this stuff that's going to be going on in North Africa with this camp? And again, it's so weird because it feels like a personal revenge story. And yet they're trying to put this bigger backdrop that never really pans out. Yeah, you would think that this would just be in most thrillers. This would be about a guy that keeps following Harrison Ford and his family around, shooting at them until one of them is dead. You would think that that would be the whole movie. You wouldn't need to have another plot at all. But the fact that, yes, his friends are going to bust him out, and it's not clear. It's a very confusing edit. Like, okay, yeah, they kill the Irish cop. Well, first of all, yeah, they have to go to, not a bookseller, what is he? He restores old books, and and that's the secret code to set up an IRA hit? Yeah, the rare book deal. Dealer. He's uh, someone that can make things happen. He can get information for you. So he knows when Sean Miller is being moved to the Isle of Wight prison. And so they're there and ready when the drawbridge is going up. Wait a sec. I'm confused then. Because I thought the rare book dealer was an arms dealer because there's a mole inside Lord Holmes' organization who's loyal to this splinter cell of the IRA and who's going to be there at the very end. Yeah, Cooley, who is the book dealer, it looks like they just give him, like, he's the guy that sets stuff up. Like, he gets a book, opens it up, there's instructions, you got to free Sean Miller, and okay, this is going to take some time. And I, I assume they're all getting information from that mole as well, but this is the guy that's going to get the guns and the cars and everything. I'm basing all of my characterization on what I got from the book. He is actually a bookseller. That book thing is is his life he's really passionate about it it's a side business that he can help people out with their problems what that's just like a hobby of his kind of he's apolitical 
how does he do his taxes for that? Like, I do hits on the side. He is apolitical. He does not want to help any particular group. And he will sell information to the highest bidder. And I got that from the, when he's run out of town and he's like, my books, they made me leave my books. I got that he really was into his books, but I figured his big money came from illicit military operations. Yeah, but he's, I mean, again, we have this character, Annette, who we know she's not really Irish because she has a red wig. She really has brown hair, that Brit traitor. But she is coming into his shop and handing him a volume, and they speak in code about how, like, can you tell us the details we know? Well, I don't know. The binding looks rough. Blah, 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 blah. Again, he's not promising them anything, but he must have come through because they know and are there when... Sean is moved. I just got to wonder, like, did they rent a boat so the bridge would have to go up at the same time? Like, this seems very expensive. It seems overly complicated. And I I agree. (laughs) You can read the novel and find out all about the details about it. Or you could watch a movie and see them. I'll take the movie. Clumsily (laughs) skip over it and go, what the hell? I don't know which is better. Honestly, the approach (laughs) is confusing either way you slice it. If they had taken any of their other operations as seriously as they do the rescue of this prisoner, they would have Lord Holmes and all the Ryans would be dead. They never show this level of coordination or competency again. In fact, maybe their whole problem as a splinter cell is Miller. You know, it's when Miller's in jail that they get their best up. With Miller there, they just fuck up all the time. Oh, I feel like hes they're going to look at him and blame him towards the end. I, I feel like, yeah, Miller's going to fuck up a lot by the end of this. Well, it's confusing. Like, all right, so they bust him out of the back of this truck. Annette shows up in a little speedboat. The next thing we see, they're on like a steamship. And I think because we'll next see them in America, that's where they're headed. But they're not. They're going to Africa, but we never see that established. They're going to Benghazi, and then they're going to set up at some training camp somewhere in North Africa. We don't want to say exactly where, because we don't want to piss anybody off. And, you know, it's like summer camp for terrorists. Like, Shining Path is down the street, and we got all the famous architects of destruction all over the place, training, making bombs, firing things. But that stuff comes later, because they don't want to lose track of Jack Ryan, which is easy to do in a Tom Clancy novel, they feel like they need to send this character immediately to America and attack him, his wife, and his daughter while she's being picked up from school. Again, they are so incompetent with these hits. And I said back with Hunt for Red October, I, I just want to see a little more analysis because that's what he is. And that, that's kind of like the unique thing he brings to these kind of spy political military films and so the the fact that yeah when he gets attacked it's his big analysis is that he looked in a reflection in a window and notices the same guy still following him like pull out a gun and just shoot him like why drag this out well i mean you're right outside the naval academy for one thing and i don't feel like being ambushed is something that anyone would analyze it's something that he has awareness of and he is able to handle. I know, plant a car bomb and just let him blow himself up. 
Yeah, true. Maybe it's hard for them to get the explosives into the States. I mean, they had to have flown. They didn't come by boat. It's not clear. Again, they're on a boat. We think they're going by boat. Yeah, no, I thought they just came by boat because that was like how to get by customs. <laughs> and now they're like in a rental van and then they go back to Africa in a chopper. Again, details <laughs> are just omitted and is it important? I think what's important to understand is that Kevin is the ringleader and he wants to train in Africa, but he has to humor this guy because of the brother and everything and say, okay, take my girlfriend and uh, strike on American soil, which they should know would bring huge repercussions against the IRA. That would be very bad for them, but he's allowing this to happen. But they're not IRA, and so they're fine with the repercussions against the IRA because it draws attention away from them. But during this car chase, I gotta think, Jack should have taken that job at the CIA. If his wife is driving a Porsche and he's driving a POS Ford station wagon that won't start? Yeah, I I was judging the wife a little bit. Share that wealth. Why is he not parking at the school parking lot? He's like street parking six blocks away, like having to leave the premises. Well, thank goodness he left the premises because he could analyze the dumbest clue maybe ever. He sees a woman flipper ponytail in a car driving away, and that's going to be very important later. Yeah. It was a very important to Harrison Ford that he lose this fight, though. You'll notice that, yes, he does try to give the guy a slip and then engage in hand-to-hand combat. And, yeah, a young 20-something is going to be able to take a 50-something Harrison Ford. And two punches in, Harrison Ford is down on his ass. This guy is pulling out his gun. It's only because school security is armed. It's a naval academy, after all. But, yeah, they're the ones that blow the enemy away. It completely shocks me that you're saying Harrison Ford is insisting on all of this. I'll get to where I thought his control came in. I'm shocked. But he's never looking bad. He's never looking silly. But yes, he doesn't look like he can take out these people single-handedly either. It is reminding me again of Frantic in quite many ways. Because there, he's also trying to save his wife and follow random clues. And, you know, this movie is just crying out for it. I watch it and it's just, it hurts me because so many of these Cold War thrillers are indebted to Hitchcock. You know, like he was a man that just really perfected the Hollywood thriller. And he knows how to do this. He knows how to take the wrong man and put him in jeopardy and get him caught up in a plot that North by Northwest, perfect example, Cary Grant, Hitchcock knows when to use humor, when to make it suspenseful. He could take a moment like we have here and really ratchet up the tension and the humor so that we're really engaged. I think what's telling is how little I care about whether Jack Ryan and his family live or die. They're just <laughs> so anonymous. No, no, I totally agree, Stuart. That, that is my thing. I'm like, this movie's moving by. I, I'm understanding what's going on. There's some action, but I don't care at all. And again, if this was Baldwin in the role and he was a little nerdier and a little younger, maybe he'd seem a little bit more vulnerable, so I'd care more. But what's presented to me in this film with this casting, no, I never fear for Ryan. I never care for Ryan. I never fear for Ryan or his family because they are the heroes of this movie. I figure nothing serious is going to happen. But I'm invested enough. You know, I'm interested to see where the story goes. I did not see it coming when the wife and daughter slam into that cement barrier on the highway. And I wish it was filmed better. I wish that that was sold better. That would have had more impact if we had 
like a far shot instead of a POV shot of the hood crumpling. Yeah, I didn't expect them to be like life dangering injuries from this, like when they're taken to the ice, because it doesn't look like, look, you're you're going to have to have a neck brace, but it didn't look that bad. And certainly if you're Sean Miller, you don't immediately run back to Africa. No, you shoot the dead bodies, double tap. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, you wait around the hospital to be sure, maybe dress up as a candy striper and go in and finish the job. I mean, the confidence they have that, yeah, you crashed into a concrete barrier and they're dead. We got them. Let's go back and train at the terrorist camp. It's, it's, it's making them look like fools. They look like drunken fools, the worst stereotypes of the Irish in the way that they're cocky and incompetent. To defend them, I never see them drink. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, this is when Jack's like going back to the CIA and... I want back in because, again, everything, all motivators, everything, they think they have something really gold here with the idea, Jack has a family, and he didn't want to be in the CIA because he had a family, and now he needs to be in the CIA because he's got a family. (laughs) This feels like, you know, when James Bond, like, I don't know which film it was, but it wasn't the second one for sure, like, where you've lost your license to kill, the, the... That was License to Kill. I think that was like the 21st or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why it's so weird that this is the second film in the franchise. It just feels like you are you don't understand the formula. Like, you start saving the world or, or having this big face-off. Like, you keep those themes, and then, yeah, do your little smaller one. Do your little Rocky Balboa. You know, it's just weird coming at number two for me. So, should Ryan have been on assignment in Act 1, quit the CIA, and then come back at this moment? Yeah! That would have made more sense for his character arc. We need to have a full circle. It's hard to understand that this was a character that was out of the business. Here's the thing. It doesn't seem like he was ever in the business. If we had any stories from his time, if we understood why he quit, if there was a particular incident... If he was Alec Baldwin. Right. I mean, but again, keep in mind, Hunt for Red October had hadn't happened yet. This is the story of how Alec Baldwin joined the CIA. Yeah, but that's not how they're playing this film, though. They are playing it as a sequel to October. Yeah, so I definitely feel like you owe the audience some explanation. Yeah. Even if we don't make a connection to Hunt for Red October and don't know who Jack Ryan is, and I imagine at least half the audience didn't know that, you at least would want to understand why this guy left the business, why it jeopardized his family specifically. That would give this moment so much more credence. And like when he's seeing his coworkers and getting back his cubicle, it would mean something again. Like it's just so weird that the way they just walk him back to a desk and go, okay, get to work. My daughter just ended up in the ER and I want to do analysis work on IRA habit. Yeah, I don't think you get to pick your own assignment at the CIA. I'm pretty sure it'd be like, okay, you're an analyst again. Here's some Russian messages. I want you to decode them. Yeah, aren't there things like conflicts of interest? You're too close to the subject. Like, you need something to be more objective. <laughs> like, yeah, a lot of warning signs. That you, Again, this Jack Ryan is going to make assumptions based on hair flips and tits. Yeah, so he very quickly, without any real good explanation, has linked that man getting seduced and killed in the bar with the three guys at the farmhouse that got shot with Kevin O'Donnell, and he was the guardian of Sean and Patrick. Like, he just suddenly knows everything that he needs to know. But don't you know? It's because he said son of a bitch. That's all it takes. I wouldn't have noticed that that was a catchphrase if you hadn't told me, Arnie. Yeah, I, I missed yeah. it again. <laughs> but it's it's just kind of embarrassing, like the way that literally the reason why Kathy gives him permission to do this is because like the IRA is now prank phone calling them late at night. They call and be like, we're never going to leave you alone. And the wife is just like, okay, 
do what you got to do. I mean, isn't that the win, Rocky, win moment? No, no. I mean, the IRA has literally nothing better to do than make late night phone calls to Jack Ryan saying, we're going to get you, we're going to get you from Africa. Can you imagine the bill that they're running up and the risk they they run of being caught at making that phone call? And why doesn't he have a tracer on it? You work for the CIA. But again, it's also that we can have poor Ann Archer, who is always cast as the wife. She was the wife in Fatal Attraction and every other movie from the 80s. We just need to know that she has signed on to the fact that her husband has done a complete U-turn. That he quit for her and now he's joined for her. I feel they tried to give Ann Archer something to do, that she didn't just want to come in and play the wife. I mean, she's going to be an ocular surgeon. We're going to see her scrub in and talk about (laughs) various surgeries. But basically, they just crash her car. She says, "Go, you can go back and try to avenge our daughter. And she's pregnant. That's about it. Yeah, I don't mean to downplay this, but look, it sounds very tragic to lose your spleen like the daughter does here, but for a film, is that the best thing to, you know, say kidney? I get that. That's dangerous. Like, people always losing kidneys. A spleen, I don't even know what a spleen does, but they're, they're going to tell us later, but talk down to me a little bit so I understand the danger this girl is in. The spleen feels like a weird way to go about it. It's a comedy word, spleen! Like <laughs> It sounded like a weird, taunt, ineffectual, like... I'm sorry about your daughter's spleen. She's going to have trouble fighting off infection. (laughs) (laughs) And again, like, is that the worst you're going to do? Like, I just, again, you're supposed to be terrorists. You're supposed to be people that are, like, fearsome. And you just look like buffoons. They just look really bad at their job. And I have no hope that they're going to pull something cool. Like, in Africa, they're probably going to end up shooting each other. I don't think they're going to pull it together. Do they look like a bunch of fools or a bunch of replicants? Because they do a Blade Runner scene in this film because it's just Harrison Ford. Like, he's going to get these satellites. They know when the satellites come overhead, these terrorists, so they could hide. So Ryan has the satellites recast, so they, I guess, go over at different times. And then you get this very long scene. Zoom. Enhance. Zoom. And, like, right out of Blade Runner. And out of Clancy. I mean, again, when it comes with Clancy, a big part of his fetish. You put Ford in a scene like this, you're thinking Blade Runner. I don't deny it. But what I'm saying is Tom Clancy fetishizes technology. And this was cutting edge. And in fact, this was the stuff that all the movie critics talked about when they talked about this movie. It was revolutionary. Well, not this one specifically, but the idea that satellites could be used to spy on people in this way was something nobody had been thinking about. It wasn't portrayed in movies up to this point. Among all the day player actors who were assisting Jack in this research, did you guys catch a familiar face? Yep, Ted Raimi. I couldn't believe it. I had to pause. I'm like, I think that looks like Ted Raimi, but I'm not quite sure. And his brother didn't make this, so why would you hire him? I mean, maybe Clint Howard was busy, right? (laughs) So I paused and looked it up. Sure enough, he is here, and he'll be back next week, too. Consistency. We can't get Alec back, but Ted, he's he's got nothing else. This is right after he was heavy metal youth in Twin Peaks. And they have this really dunderheaded idea that Jack is going to put two and two together because he sees a pair of tits on the satellite photo and he walks into the woman's restroom by accident and sees a redhead. He's going to suddenly remember that the terrorists are working with a net. This is awful. 
awful. This is off. I want to see him do analysis, have that little geeky montage. This is not it. Why is she always wearing the red wig? I mean, is she just trying to blend in with all the other people in the IRA splinter? It's like she's trying to get caught. I believe that the way that it's sold is that she will be more seductive to the Irishman by being red-haired. It's all kinds of pathetic. Again, you can't believe... If Hitchcock could have pulled this off with a sense of humor. I'm thinking about Vertigo. I, I would love a Hitchcock-Clancy collab. If Hitchcock had lived another decade, I'm sure he would have done this book. I mean, he would have been wonderful for it. He has the right instincts to be able to apply the suspense scenarios with the sort of every man and the sexual titillation. I mean, again, this movie could use some of that. Yeah, Jack Ryan does feel like a neutered James Bond in certain ways. I mean, yes... He got his wife pregnant, but that's what you get when you get the married man. It's He's going to be all about the mission. Yeah, but again, the, the idea that he's tempted by this woman, she never really has an interaction. She was just in a Jeep that drove by him. And for some reason, that was a repressed memory that comes back when he walks into the women's room. That's just, this is terrible writing. We can all agree that that should not have been the way. So none of this in the book? Oh, no, no, nothing. Yeah, I, I, we're so far from what the book is doing that it's not worth going back to what they did. Very <laughs> different ideas. But we, we did have this character, Patty O'Neill, who seems to be based on a real-life figure in Sinn Féin, Jerry Adams. You know, he was the guy that sort of, you know, he always said he wasn't a, a part of IRA, but he kind of made them political. Like, he actually got elected to office, and he legitimized the cause, and... Here, played by Dumbledore, he's sort of the figure trying to say, you know, don't look at us. When we bomb something, we lay claim to it. We don't let it happen anonymously. And he's trying to make amends to Jack Ryan for what happened to the daughter by popping by the hospital and constantly popping up. You call that IRA guy Dumbledore. Was he first Dumbledore or second Dumbledore? Because I don't recognize him. He's the first. Okay. He died after Gladiator, so they had to replace him. But eventually he's going to be shamed in an Irish bar. Like Sam Jackson comes in to just kind of, I don't know, intimidate him or something. And he realizes that he needs to give up the name of this redhead. And surprise, she's not even a redhead. Here's who she's working for. Why did he give her up? How did he know to turn over this information about the woman? Was this totally random? Because later on, when Ryan presents this evidence, this dossier he gets on the redheaded woman, he's going to say, oh, I know this is legit because I never told him I was looking for a woman. So this is this has just happened. He just picked he just plucked a terrorist at random and it happened to be the one Jack Ryan was looking for. He gave up some names and I think we're to understand that Richard Harris knows every Irish person ever. And so he <laughs> knows who they hang with. She's not even Irish. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, I think that's why they're joking that he could give her up is that he knows that she's dating Kevin. I, you know, it's just so bad. It's also worth pointing out, we also have some Scotland Yard guys running around. The people that were working with the Irish cop have gotten Sony fiber optic cameras and gotten into that bookseller's place and they've stormed a bomb making factory and they've figured out things. But you do not see Jack Ryan working with them. You do not see the ways in which all these supporting characters are part of the same investigation. In the book, you would see it, but it seems like too many steps. In the movie, they skip 20 steps 
cops and you're very confused. Yeah, here are these British cops or Secret Service, whatever. They, I don't even know what division they're with her. But they set up a faulty like camera in Cooley's bookshop. And that just gives a motivation to go on the run, to go to North Africa. And I don't even know what they're doing in North Africa. Are they just doing like generic terrorist training? Do they have a plot that they're trying to pull off? It's not clear to me. I, I mean, in this movie, I'm sure in the book, it's very well. Explained very well, but not here. I believe they exist so that they can kidnap Lord Holmes. What is their plan after they get him? I do not know what Lord Holmes does for you. Step one, kidnap Lord Holmes. Step, <laughs> Step three, <laughs> profit. Step two, question mark. Yeah. Yes, it does feel like that kind of plot. And by this point, we've seen that bookseller coolly calling Lord Holmes's office and we find out, ooh, there's a mole in there called Jeffrey Watkins. And why would that mean anything to anybody? No, they say that name like I'm supposed I'm like, oh, I'm looking through my notes. I don't know. There was a bunch of British guys in some scenes. I didn't get all their names. Who is this one? Yeah, he was standing in the background when it was earlier discussed that Lord Holmes should change his schedule and not travel so much. And he was the one working the calendar. Irony of ironies, he's going to make sure that they go over for dinner at Jack's house to uh, be assaulted by a six-man team. It just, everything about this movie feels so reduced, so small. You got to get everyone back over to America after they try to do a terrorist. Again, complicated. Keep Lord Holmes in England. I, I think this group could get there easier. And it's the same problem we had with Hunt for Red October. It's better here than in Hunt for Red October. But in Red October, we're like, the traitor's the cook? Who was the cook? Here, the traitor has a few more scenes, including one scene discussing the traitor, where somebody else is like, that traitor better hope I never find him. And the traitor himself is like, we know you'll do your best. So there's a little bit more at the end when you're like, that guy's the traitor. But there are so many people in this movie, it is really hard to give a damn about the traitor. Yeah, you needed to limit the characters. In order for this to be successful, you needed to limit the characters. You needed a lot more fun, a lot more verb. You needed the detective work to not be so stupid or at least be stylish. If you're going to have a scene where we're chasing somebody in a white fedora and trench coat in the subway... You need a better punchline than they grab a woman dressed up the same way. Like, this movie is begging for a sense of humor. It's so dour. It's so self-serious. And yet it's not really about anything at all. That's what's so amazing. With Red October, I was able to just, it's a unique setting, being in a submarine and all the politics going on. I could get distracted by that. So even though it's kind of dry and boring, well, at least there's some stuff I haven't really seen a whole lot of movies. So I could go with that. This one, I've seen action films. I've seen revenge films. And this is, I don't care about the protagonist really. And there's so many people. I don't know who's who it just it gets muddy and it's not fun and i complain about that with red october i know but again maybe you don't have fun with the clancy film but this one's working for me when it does take it down to its most reductive of man versus man yeah when you it has better action scenes than red october did with just alec baldwin falling onto a sub I like the single-minded determination Miller has going after Ryan in lieu of the IRA goals. It's a standard and rote revenge plot. I don't know why you're complimenting something for being rote. That's a strange backhanded compliment is what I would call that. This, yeah. this movie's so, so boring and so predictable that it's great. It's not the teacher's pet. It's not the valedictorian, but it's the student who goes by. 
Be that as it may, we are now reaching a climax. Jack Ryan has deduced that that is the bookseller in the same photograph as the pair of tits. So therefore, it must be the team that he's been looking for. And he passes that along to Greer. And we get the scene that I think really made this movie for so many of the critics at the time. This movie got pretty good reviews, and I remember all of them focused on this moment where Jack finally sees what all his hard work produces, an assault on Camp 18. I remember critics talking about this scene. I remember this scene myself, but for some reason, I always thought this was in clear and present danger. So when we get this scene here... I was surprised. I'm like, I didn't realize it was this one. And I somewhat get what the critics were raving about. It's chilling to see a whole bunch of basically businessmen in suits standing around a room, one guy drinking a cup of coffee, and when the blobs on the screen, the satellite images of troops go in and shoot some people and just goes, that's a kill. I don't think we really got a sense of this is what really happens in real life until, you know, the pictures of Obama watching this happen with Osama bin Laden. Like, th- that's what kind of said, oh, they just sit in a room and watch these hits go down. Like, But here, yeah, you, in 92, you're seeing it on the screen. Yeah, it was new then. And again, I wonder modern audiences for exactly that reason, Jacob, because you can play a Tom Clancy video game that is like this gameplay, that because we know that this is how war is now, maybe it's a good reminder to know we should not be blasé about it. That it's kind of miraculous that someone could become indignant watching a woman type in the keyboard and it causes a chopper to fire. And again, the idea that war had become a video game was a very new concept at this moment. And so I want to credit this scene and then I want to ask a question which may discredit. Like, how do these not IRA terrorists know that the CIA is coming for them and so they're able to set up fake bodies and all of this? I never caught a reason in the movie. We get six terrorists at the end like to get Lord Holmes. I don't even know who these people are to know whether they're all the same ones coming. But yes, the important ones, Annette... Kevin and Sean are all going to be a part of the assault coming at the climax. Yeah, the only body they can identify is Cooley, and I feel that was set up. We see him go to North Africa, and they kind of just shoot him. They realize he's dead weight, could give him away, whatever. And so I felt like, oh, yeah, this is the one body we'll let him identify because they know about Cooley now. They they caught him in the bookstore. And then the rest, I don't know, were fake bodies why they went off to come back to America to attack us. I thought it was just dumb luck that they were already on the way back to America for Lord Holmes. But they found bodies. They're like, we, we got to do dental checks. Again, it's it's so lazy. Like, uh, you know, how, do, how do they keep slipping into the country? Like, what are the ways that they're financed? <laughs> I think they're financed by kidnapping. <laughs> There's an art to this. You need to be able to give enough details to make it feel plausible, to make it not feel like a dumb comic book, to create the sense of real-world drama... But you don't want to over-explain things. And yet, if you leave everything up, like as just a big question mark of, yeah, oh yeah, just somehow they got away and other people were killed here. That is just completely unsatisfying. Especially for a Clancy adaptation. Clancy does techno thrillers, gets in these technical details. I don't want all of them. You really don't. I don't want how the nuts and bolts are, are created for submarines, but... I can promise you that. You want a shorter version. 
No, I, I know that. I've read his stuff. I want a little bit more, though. I want the dots connected. Like, if terrorists somehow knew that the Americans were coming for him, you got to explain that. I think I could forgive this movie for just skating along if I were intoxicated. Like, if you are enjoying something, you don't ask a lot of why questions. You're like, just go with it. I don't know how they figured it out. They did. But it's just so exciting to be here. The problem is, is that we've had so many deadweight scenes where the investigations are are because I walked into the wrong bathroom stall and saw a redhead, and it reminded me of one that I saw when I got attacked outside the school. Just so many dumb coincidences. Where is the fun? In a Hitchcock movie, there's always a set piece that's really just a delight to watch and unfold. And I guess the closest we have to that is this attack on the house here at the climax. And this feels very out of place. When you kept saying that Harrison Ford was wanting to look weaker, wanting to look weaker, here I felt like this ending was Harrison Ford being like, well, I need to kick some ass. I need to kill the bad guy. I need to get in some punching matches here. I don't think Harrison Ford wants to lose every fight. He needs to win. He wants Jack Ryan to be a a hero of a different stripe than who he's played in the past. But I don't see that he does a lot of the acrobatics here. I mean, he will climb up into the attic. He'll walk across the roof, almost fall, and he'll drive a boat. But I don't think that they go beyond the expectations of a Marine. I just don't know what kind of party you're throwing when your daughter just got released from the hospital. Lord Holmes is there and Reggie. Like, who is Reggie at this point? Why is Sam Jackson keep, like, photobombing my life? I don't understand it. I take it as he's a family work friend of Jack's. And that's why they had so many talks earlier is, you know, you you get family work friends who come over and... I don't know. I feel like this all has to get cleared like months in advance if if royalty is coming over. Completely. And I think this is where he's being presented with his knighthood. He's getting some kind of medal and it's being presented here by the traitor who takes this moment to like run to the basement and shut off the power. Like he knows the house. Like he's got this all worked out. He shoots security guards in the bathroom. Like again, all of this just looks like Keystone Capers. These people are idiots. They weren't expecting a mole in their ranks. It's a dumb action finale, but I'm not offended by it. Well, but it's a dumb action finale to a movie that insists it's smarter than action movies and isn't. Yeah, but again, I think the inherent problem is they wanted this to be a revenge story. So you have to have the mano y mano scene where they go against each other. It has to become that kind of dumb action film. Yeah, Jack gets reduced. I know the the TV show... 24 took a lot of heat because it popularized the idea that you could torture someone into giving you the answers. Here, Jack is literally going to just take this Jeffrey character and be like, how many are coming? And shoot him in the knee. And like, where will we get out? And they're like, oh, they got boats down there. Like, he just keeps like beating the shit out of this guy until he tells him. I wondered how you two felt about that. Because when he says, how many are coming? And he's like, I don't know. Shoots him in the knee. How many are coming? Six. I actually was rooting for Jack Ryan in that moment and then realized that I was a step away from rooting for waterboarding but i want an action hero who is going to get the answers and i don't really care if the bad guys lose a kneecap again this feels like it's a personal story so i don't see his actions as those sanctioned by the cia i wish i wish i were asking big moral questions about torture and its ability to produce good sound intelligence good sound intel i just I don't feel like this movie requires a lot. I don't remember much about the next film, Clear and Present Danger, but I do feel like this is the beginning of the Harrison 
Florida's President trilogy that ends with Air Force One, where you just got the president punching terrorists off planes. It did remind me of how silly that was. You're, you're talking about movies I haven't seen. I haven't seen Clear and Present Danger, and I never saw Air Force One either. But this feels like the beginning of that. Again, I want the nerdy analyst. This is not a nerdy, even with a Marine training background, Harrison Ford just, he brings a different vibe to it. Yeah, well, this is where I got off the boat. I mean, literally. <laughs> yeah, I saw this movie and then I said, yeah, I'm not really going to watch Harrison Ford. I saw The Fugitive after this, but pretty much anything else the man made, I skipped after this. I was done. He wasn't Indy or Han Solo. Until Cowboy versus Aliens. But this climax is, I think it's Philip Noyce. I mean, we're putting a lot of this on Harrison Ford is not engaging. This plot is confusing. But I also just want to cite, let's not let the director slip off into the night. He sucks too. He is really not staging this in any way where it's fun to see the surprises and the twists. And, oh, the wife is trapped in a closet with a rifle with no bullets. She's going to headbutt the woman coming for her. Like, all of this stuff could be fun. Predictable, but fun. I looked up Noyce's filmography to see what I had seen of his, and, and this is why I say Blind Fury may be his best. Like, Salt, The Bone Collector, The Saint. Like, I don't get excited about those ones at all. Like, maybe that's just the style. The Saint is awful. That is a shitstorm, and Sliver's not much better. The Saint is pretty bad. It's actually so bad, it's enjoyable in my mind, but... You do love your Val Kilmer, but here, like, they're just... They're ripping off Silence of the Lambs here. Like, they go down to the basement and throw on the lights, and that makes them shoot the mole or whatever. Like, that's the trick that they used in the movie the year before. And I want to cite, too, James Horner is completely ripping off his Alien score. There are so many musical stings. I know that movie so well. There are so many musical stings just taken part and parcel from Aliens and put into this film. So much so that I had to look and make sure that he called it an original score. Did he? He did. You can buy it and it will play these notes in the same way <laughs> as if it were a Jack Ryan theme. But yeah, it's Aliens. Apparently, Corner is known for doing that, taking his old stuff, and he arranges it differently and uses different instruments. But it's the same song. But I mean, there was some different stuff. It opened with that like world music type stuff that yeah made me think it was going to be about Africans or I guess Irish and Celtic song. Yeah, he will do that again in Titanic. Mm -hmm. Again, that's not that shocking. But yeah, again, what I'm really arguing here is as we come to a close is I watched a two hour movie in which nobody had an original thought. Nobody did anything that was clever or fun, and I just can't wait for this to be over. I don't care how, and I'm not even sure how this all resolves itself, but for some reason, Sean just decides to shoot his co-workers because they're not as crazy as he is. They want to go back after the Lord, and they're going to force him to. I mean, at this point, they all turn around and go for the Lord, or his bosses are going to shoot him, or he's going to shoot his bosses and keep going after Jack Ryan. I mean, that's the point they're at. I don't think they know the Lord is on the shore. They do. The hood flew off of Jack's boat and they go, he's alone. He's diverting us. And O'Donnell says, we need to turn around and go for the Lord. Let Jack Ryan go. And that's when Miller shoots him. Yeah, that's terrible. Again, that's as bad as I saw a redhead in the bathroom and it reminded me of a terrorist I once fought. I mean, that's just terrible. It's par for the course of a dumb summer action movie. It's, you know, not great, but I go with it because he's avenging his younger brother. 
Again, that's so rote. You are happy to find solace in something that feels ordinary. And my reaction to that is, man, nothing here tastes original. Nothing. Not a single thing. The one thing they got is, what's the sex of the baby? And I remember, Arnie, we were sitting in that theater and everybody sighed when they cut before they revealed the the sex. This is what the people were most excited about. I remember this too. But what I remember is you and I, We, like, got on a wavelength. We knew each other were not enjoying this movie. And then when it cut away without saying the sex of the baby, like, everybody in the crowd was, like, laughing. Like, they really wanted to know, and they felt like the rug had been pulled out from under them. Not knowing the sex of the baby was this audience's Sam Jackson at the end of Iron Man. (laughs) And you and I just looked at each other like... Why are they... They're like, we gotta come back for part three. We gotta know what that baby has between its legs. <laughs> that is exactly how it felt. Is like Stuart and I were an island while everybody else was so invested in the sex of this child. That was the talk of the town that night. Is Jack Ryan gonna have a boy or a girl? Every, at the Chili's, they were all talking about it. Which again, is just admitting defeat. That is just waving a white flag and saying, we don't have a movie that's about a single thing. This has all been games, not Patriot games, just silly ass shit, kitty games. But did they play to win? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Patriot games? Jacob. Yeah, this is one where I had to, again, re-examine what does a recommend mean? Because as I'm watching it, it's moving by fine. You know, it's got a quicker pace than Red October, which gets more into the technical stuff and is just more complicated, I think, politics than this one. This one really doesn't want to have any politics. And so it, it feels like it does move faster. It's got those action scenes. It's what I expect from Harrison Ford. But we're doing a Jack Ryan retrospective, and I think this movie is miscast by putting him there. It just creates a whole world of different expectations. If you want something smart, look, Harrison Ford, maybe he's a great archaeologist as Indiana Jones. He seems to not follow a lot of the standard procedures, but those are entertaining films. And so, yeah, there's moments like when we're looking at satellites and examining that, like those those are fun little moments, but then it's always offset by these really dumb moments as I'm thinking about the plot after this film of like the flip of a hair, that's what solves everything. He just has a memory of a woman with the ponytail that was red and and that solves so much so it comes down this is a tom clancy jack ryan retrospective there's lots of dumb action films like this that are more entertaining i just i don't care about jack ryan in this and i think that's the major problem if i cared about him i could probably get into this as just an action film but because my expectation is that it should be a little bit smarter this one's just a little too dumb for me and so it's a week not recommend again if you just like action films i think you'll kind of get by on this one with some of the tech stuff they get into and the fights at the end and that but it's not one i want to endorse so it's not recommend just a little too dumb for what i would expect out of a clancy property stewart yeah i accept that jack ryan is an analyst and not an action hero i even kind of praised red october for that i said it had a dad bod it relied on that old-fashioned male movie star charm more than stunts and explosions I'm already on board for that. I accept that Patriot Games is going down that road. But what it does is put all of the eggs in Harrison Ford's basket. And he is just not wanting to work for audience approval anymore. He just doesn't care. He just doesn't want to do anything in this film. We're to like him because he's got a cute daughter that gets badly injured. He's got a really understanding wife that supports him when he quits the CIA or when he joins it. Really doesn't matter. He's got this really great house by the sea. But mostly, we're to like him because he raided Lost Arks and shot first. You just like him because he's Harrison Ford and, and that's it. I'm not doing any more with this character. 
So if Patriot Games is a thinking man's action film, then Jack Ryan has failed the test. He flunked. This movie is not smart. This does not demonstrate how an analyst figures things out. The detective work is so clumsy. All of Clancy's debates about the ethics of selling contraband under the table and playing Patriot Games completely removed. And... It looks strapped. This movie is just shitty to look at. It just looks small and weak and not one nice shot in the entire movie. It's murkier than all those subs last time. I just, I hated looking at it. I hated trying to follow it. I thought it was completely uninvolving and very easily a not recommend. And... This feels so disconnected from The Hunt for Red October. I remember making a huge point. I have to see The Hunt for Red October on VHS because I need to understand what's going on in Patriot Games. And this feels as disconnected as that Bourne TV movie feels from the Matt Damon Bourne identity. It's just two different properties. And I think when I went into this in 92, I wanted something bigger. I didn't want a small story about a rogue IRA guy against an ex-CIA agent. But this time, I kind of go for that personal story, even if the plot around it is murky and the ending's a little bit dumb. I mean, Jacob, I think you and I saw the same film, but when thinking about what a recommend means, this one passes the time. I can lean weak recommend. I liked it better this time than I did in 92. You know, the sub didn't sink, but it certainly didn't make it to America. It passes the time. Is that really a recommend? (laughs) It's a backhanded compliment. Again, I get what you're saying. You feel like because it doesn't have any egregious mistakes that you'd hate to damn it. But what did it do good? What is something here that was like, wow, that was really good? There was, for its time, that satellite scene. All right, I'll give you that. It was two minutes, but it is the best thing about the movie. And I do like Harrison Ford in this. I almost cheered out loud when he shot that guy in the knee. I mean, I was really on his side when they invaded his house. That is a very personal attack to not only try to kill you, but to come into your home and do it. You know, to try to kill you, to try to kill your family. I found myself slightly invested. Because of the ending. And Harrison Ford throughout. So good casting choice for you, because again, I think that's your buy. And if you like Harrison Ford, you might like this movie, maybe. And I pretty much liked Harrison Ford. I don't see him as uninvested in his properties as you do, Stuart, until post-Air Force One and really the 21st century turned him into a useless prop. But... In the 90s, I thought he still had something, and I think he has it here. Okay. Well, we're going to have him again, so hopefully you're right. Hopefully I can I can find something. Some of it is the adaptation itself. It didn't help the fact that I read the book, didn't like the book, and then saw them fuck up the book with this movie. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll see how clear and present dangerous. Did the book reveal the sex of the baby? I gotta know before next week. I uh, don't remember. Let me th- <laughs> Let me think about this. Hold on. I'll do, I got the book right here. I know that the last scene is she went into labor. I think I was so happy to close the lid on the damn thing. I don't. He closed it before he got the And it's like, and the baby was out. He's like, I'm done. I will look right now, folks. This is the last sentence. Ryan walked out to the waiting room to announce the birth of his son, a handsome young man who would have two complete but very different sets of godparents. Because there were other characters that aren't even here. (laughs) I think you knew that because in the Hunt for Red October book, he had an infant son. 
It was already spoiled for me. I knew he was a boy. Oh, that's true, because this is a prequel as far as the book goes. Yes, yeah. There was a baby boy that he left behind in Hunt for Red October. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for playing these Patriot games with us. I've never seen Clear and Present Danger. Hoping for better things. I think I've seen it. I remember one scene. I think. Oh, no. (laughs) Is it going to be a replay of this? Because I can't handle this. I really don't want to watch Patriot Games 3. I don't know. I knew this one was Jack Ryan versus the IRA. I don't even remember who the big bad is in the next one. All I remember about the next one is I watched it when I was in college. Willem Dafoe was in it, and I liked him. That's all I remember. (laughs) Okay. In the meantime, if you want something completely different... We're going to summer camp this Friday. Brock, Arnie, and I have decided to relive our youth and the Friday the 13th series by going through sleepaway camp, which is maybe a little bit like Crystal Lake, but gets a whole lot weirder. Have decided is a very kind way of putting it. Our donors and our patrons voted among all the options more than Jumanji, more than Iron Eagle. More than Lou! (laughs) (laughs) Hard to imagine anything more attractive than Iron Eagle 4. More than Invasion of the Body Snatchers, our supporters wanted us to go to sleepaway camp. It's been requested for years, so it is our platinum donation series as we finish up our spring-summer 2020 donation drive. If you'd like to go to camp with us, it's just a donation of $35 or more. Head to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. You see the PayPal buttons there. You click one of those. You type in $35 or more if you want to support us more. And the way we like to think of it is you're not paying for these bonus shows. You're supporting our show. If you like the show we do every single Tuesday from Escape from New York to all the Marvel movies to all the horror movies... It's listener support that makes it possible. We have no ads. We have no sponsors. And we say thank you with bonus podcasts. So for $35 or more, you can come and camp out with Stuart, Brock, and I for the next five Fridays. Yeah, and spoiler alert, I don't believe that Arnie or Brock has seen this movie. So you guys that have seen it, you know what the surprise (laughs) is. I can't wait to hear what they think. Yeah, It'll be fun, all right? We're all going to be, we're going to see how it goes. I am a complete newbie to the series. I hadn't even heard of it, I don't think, until listeners started requesting it. But I've got the Shout Factory Blu-rays now, so I'm ready to... How are those extras, Arnie? Review them. Yes, it had commentaries and the like. It's it's not like Escape from L.A. Yeah. Oh, okay. God, please, let it go. <laughs> Never! Never! You are just burning for that. Hey, we got one person to not buy it because of our review. No. Yeah. And I hope Blu-ray.com does a retraction of that five-star lie. I checked today. They have not yet. I actually checked. (laughs) With all going on in the world, I certainly hope that problem gets solved. And while we're discussing donors, I want to give a shout out to those patrons who pledge $50 or more. You guys are amazing. And one of the perks is we give you a shout out. So to... Anthony 01425. Thank you. Paul Blanchette, Jameson Childress, CLH Prime, and then five people who Podbean just gives a default name. So I've got like DGDTY3, which I think is diggity, like no diggity three, but 
you guys, there's a form that there's a link when you become a patron to, and you can go there and actually set your name or whatever name you want to have thanked. But we want to thank you guys for all that support. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It makes all the difference. In hard times like this, it really helps to have support. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, I'm sorry, I don't dance. Stop the launch sequence. Lasseter here. Flash override. Stop the sequence. Stop the sequence. Order the planes to stand down. Tickets to DEFCON 3. And would somebody ask Mr. Ryan if I can use the phone now? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. Anywhere you can get that Boy Scout on a field trip look off your face? Not a chance. That's what I like about you. We hope you've enjoyed the show. A great day, comrades. We sail into history. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. So, you feel like a movie this weekend? Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. He's listening to it on his headsets, and he's just happy as a clam. And then all hell breaks loose. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Reciprocity. That's a clever name for it. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. When the world trembled at the sound of our rockets, well, they will tremble again the sound of our silence. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. I want the money in my account before I move an inch. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. You're either with us or you're against us, Jimmy Boy. Make up your mind. Oh, I'm with you. That's all I wanted to hear. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Oh, did they hit anybody's Instagram, Facebook, Hopscotch, Reddit, no, anything? No, no. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. When's the last time you slept? Wow. Associate produced by Jason Latham. If you disregard my counsel, if you keep running your business the way you have been, with your balls instead of your head, two things will happen. I'll quit, and you'll get killed. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. 
like Beethoven on the computer. You have labored to produce. Now playing credits read by Brock. And a voice cried out from heaven saying, it is done. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. I said, speak your mind, Jack the Jesus. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. I don't imagine the boys on the hill have proved this. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. But the day that I sell out my countrymen will be the day that I put a bullet through my own head. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Welcome to the new world, sir. This prompts Jack to return to work at the CIA to capture the killers and discovers information that leads to a U.S. airstrike on the base. A U.S. airstrike, a U.S. airstrike, a U.S. airstrike, a U.S. airstrike. Ah! You never saw Air Force One? That is... No. Oh, wow. I mean, just imagine President Ford as Rambo on an airplane taking out terrorists. I do, and that's why I don't want to see it. Like, that's... I'm off. I'm done. Oh, oh, O'Reilly. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought you were doing that. Radio <laughs> I kind <line>. of was. <laughs> oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto parts. But what is the guy's name? Oh, Kevin O'Donnell, Patrick Bergen's character. Oh.